Peer pressure, is it bad or is it good? If you want to know what I mean by that, then please join me for today's second episode of Probing the Proverbs. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the CCFS Counts and Conversations podcast. I'm Edward Ruiz, your host here, where we're diving into the Proverbs, section by section, verse by verse, looking for the wisdom that we need to tackle problems of everyday living, and hopefully offering you the counsel and encouragement you need straight from the Proverbs. This is called Probing the Proverbs. And last week, we did uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. We're picking up now in verse 8 through 19, diving into some problems that I think you and I can very easily identify with. And that is this, the problem of peer pressure. And that's today's title, when peer pressure is a problem. I can't think of any season of my life, any uh, time period or duration where there hasn't been uh, uh, peer pressure. And I want to say here in the very beginning that I don't think peer pressure in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing. And I think we'll even see that from our text today. Um, But let's just give a quick example of where I think we would agree that peer pressure might be a good thing. The peer pressure, let's say you're struggling with a sin of some sort, or you know a family member or a friend who's struggling with a sin or maybe about to be in sin in some way and you are imploring them or you've been implored by those who love you to flee from it okay to 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 turn from it or maybe even to repent from it Um, that's that's peer pressure that's good pressure that might be what we call what i would call gospel-centered pressure and uh, but most of the time when we think of peer pressure there's there's a very negative associate association with it and rightly so you know we, we counsel children to seek to avoid peer pressure to not give in to peer pressure because most of the time we think of it as something where it's going to lead to somewhere bad it's going to lead to sin um, and so we're usually tempted you know peer pressure is the temptation it's the process of the temptation to sin and so that's what we see here in the next set of verses of Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Uh, we, I think we see both a, a kind of good peer pressure, but obviously the bad sort of peer pressure. And we're going to talk, hopefully, about that in a way that I hope is helpful to you. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 1, picking up in verse 8. I'll put it up on the screen for us, and we'll kind of dive in from there. Okay? So picking up in Proverbs 1, verse 8. It says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners enti- if a sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our house with plunder. Cast your lot with cast lots with us, and we will share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. 
So good pressure. And I think here in the beginning part of the section here, verses 8 and 9, we see a kind of good pressure. You know, Solomon is imploring, listen, my son, to your father's teaching. Listen to your mother's instruction. And so the first sort of good pressure there really is a pressure and a command to obey. To obey the righteous and wise teaching of your mother and your father. Okay, And then the second sort of pressure, you might say some enticement there, is there's a little bit of a reward here. All right? I mean, right out the gate, he says, you know, obey your mother's teaching, obey your father's instruction. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Now, if you're like me, you know that not every act of obedience will necessarily produce some sort of material thing, right? We're not going to get a reward in a physical sense every single time you and I obey. Um, so what could Solomon mean here by a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck? It's not necessarily a physical thing. I presume you know that. And So let's consider this for a quick moment. Just my own reflection, I'm going to read a, a thought that I had as I was reflecting on this. What is the garland and what is the chain to adorn our neck? So consider this. A garland decorates the head, which is where the mind resides. In the mind, the one who dutifully obeys righteous parents will retain within him not only the law, but the purpose of the law. They will know God and the doctrines which God has laid out for us in His Word. In His mind, He will make up His mind to conform His life to this doctrine which He has fervently conceded under careful study of the mind. He knows in advance that any action He must take must conform to the law. This He has determined in His mind. Yet it is not enough to know the law, but one must also worship the lawgiver from the heart. And there's a few verses where we see that is obviously the case. Look, the first verse is uh, Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God uh, that you were once slaves of sin, have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. Or 1 Timothy um, 1, 5. The aim of our, chain, our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Or even 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, uh, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, love, uh, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's not just external obedience, but it is uh, a love and a worship that flows from the heart. And so, so goes the chain that adorns the neck and drapes the heart. If I can uh, offer a one-sentence summary of what may be gained out of verse 8 and 9, it, it might go like this. When we obey righteous parents, we will be blessed with a knowledge of God and a heart that is inclined to worship Him. When we obey righteous parents, we'll be blessed with a knowledge of God as well as a heart that is inclined to worship Him. And so that's the first um, takeaway here when we're looking at, really, I think the good pressure that can come when we have righteous and wise parents who command us uh, and teach us what God's Word says and we seek to obey it and the reward we get. We will, the, the basic reward we will have is the knowledge of God and a heart that's inclined to worship Him. And then so the Sol Solomon goes in here to dive into the, when sin, like when the peer pressure, when the problem of peer pressure comes, when the sinful peer pressure comes, um, 
we're diving into this. So um, I, I want to sort of sort of think about this next section here in two ways. One, we see the categories of sin that Solomon provides for us, right? The three basic categories of sin is, is murder, stealing, and conspiracy. Murder, verses 11 and 12, stealing, verse 13, and the conspiracy in verse 14. And then what we see kind of sandwiched here on bo- as bookends, really, of this is really a breakdown of, of the basic godly advice that Solomon is offering those who are listening to this and to the son who needs this advice when, when sin comes, if sinners do this to you, if sinners entice you. One, don't give in to them. Okay, that's the first, like, like right out the gate. Just don't give in. And then in the end, as he follows up with the sorts of sins that you will be tempted with, just do not go along with them. Do not follow their path. That's the advice that he gives us. Okay? And, um, but... Most of us reading the or listening to this podcast, most who will read my blog here, and uh, again, most people are not going to be tempted to actually go out and commit a physical murder. All right, we're not going to be tempted to be conspired, or we're not going to conspire necessarily to go and rob people's houses or to go necessarily steal and rob directly from people in a physical sense. Okay, so. I think we need a little bit of Jesus' help here on this um, by understanding that these are sins of the heart as much as they are sins in the external sense. Okay? And, you know, when we read the New Testament, and especially when we read the Gospels, we pick up on that very easily. So let's just sort of unpack these major sins here, the sin of murder, stealing, and conspiracy, and and see what the rest of the Bible has to help us understand here. So... <clears throat> Again, the vast majority of people will not physically murder somebody, but everyone does become angry with another person at some point in their life. And so, looking at what Jesus says, Jesus elevates anger as tantamount to murder. And we pick that up in Matthew 5.21, which I'll quickly read. It says this, You have heard that it was said of, um, of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to to the hell of fire. So Jesus is saying, when you're angry with your brother, the judgment for that, the penalty for that, is just the same as one who actually physically murders. You can murder your brother in your heart by and through your anger toward your brother, or your sister, or your neighbor. Okay, the the heart's capacity to have the sort of hatred that would go into hate to, to the anger is tantamount to the same hatred that you would have when you're physically murdering somebody, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, he wanting he wants us he wants us to deal with anger in the same way that we would deal with actual physical murder. So, just a quick reflection question then, right? So, who entices you to become angry? Um, I mean, we're dealing here with this passage where the son is being enticed to go physically murder people. Okay, so maybe we're not being physically tempted to be murdering people, but we are tempted to be angry with others, which is, again, tantamount to murder. So what are the ways that you might be tempted to become angry? I was listening to another podcast recently, and somebody helped me put a finger on articulating this question in light of just the things that are going on right now with the riots and the protests. And there's um, not that there's necessary anything wrong with protesting, obviously not, but there's a certain sort of anger that a lot of people are being enticed to kind of just give into and follow into and just go with, go along with a certain sort of anger. Um, and not all of that anger 
is good. And in fact, probably most of it is not good. And this isn't a political podcast, but my point here is, is that that's just one other way that we see the enticement to anger on a mass scale right now. But what are the ways that you are being enticed to anger? Here's just a couple of that I, that I thought of as I was doing this. Politicians, you know, I think is a big way. We, we get very uh, sucked into the political winds of the day. and We can become angry in the way that our politicians are enticing us to be angry. But, you know, our neighbors, our friends, our spouses, maybe our kids are, are riling us up and we can't control our own hearts in this way and, and we give in to the anger. Uh, news is another simple one. Maybe social media. You spend five minutes on social media um, on any political topic of the day and you will find people enticing you to follow in the, in the wind of that anger moment there. So how are you being enticed to anger? and ultimately murder your brother or sister or neighbor. Um, so that's the murder piece here. The, the materialism, the, the, the stealing and the coveting, let's look at that because again, most of us aren't gonna go rob houses, right? But most of us struggle with wanting more than what we have. And I think, again, when we're diving into what Jesus has to say about certain things, so when we're looking at, Jesus has to say, in contrast to this, right? So one, one thing Jesus says, in Luke 6.30, really, he gives us the, the counsel to do the exact opposite of what these, these sinners here who are enticing us to steal. What does he say in Luke 6.30? Well, he says, Give to everyone who begs of you, begs from you, and from the one who takes from you your goods, do not demand it back. So, rather than conspiring to steal, Jesus is saying, if somebody asks something of you, give it to them. Which is the exact opposite, again, of course, of what these, these sinners are enticing us to do. The enticers are saying, let's take. Jesus is saying, let's give. Um, but the other thing, too, that I think Jesus helps us understand in terms of this, this ethic and dealing with material wealth and material possessions and that sort of a thing, is Jesus points us to heaven. And he does this in, his, in, his, um, in Matthew 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And with that last line there, one of the things that we understand is, is that you know, we could want things in our life, um, and what, what's going on in our hearts tells us so much about where our treasure is. And so, in, in a kind of way, we could store up for ourselves treasures in our hearts in, in the same kind of way that these, these thieves are enticing us to go and rob houses in the physical sense. Okay, Jesus' ethic, which I hope is, is, is an obvious contrast to these sinners who are pressuring us to do otherwise, is this. Do not think that you will find what you need on this side of heaven. Only I have what you need. So, as freely as I have given to you, give to others. That's Jesus' ethic here. And so a second quick uh, reflection question is this. In what ways do you store up for yourself treasures on earth. In what ways do you do that? A couple of simple ways that I think most people might be tempted in some way or at various points in their life is this, a hoarding, <laughs> to just not throw away stuff, to keep it, to kind of just accumulate stuff. Um, 
Another thing is to buy things that you know you can't afford. Um, maybe a persistent sort of envy of others. You Maybe you don't have credit cards, but you really want what other people have. Um, and so another way that that can work out really is through fantasy. Like we can really fantasize about a different life, fantasize about a bigger car, uh, or excuse me, a bigger house, a better car, better clothes, better this and better that. And this last point that I want to make too isn't necessarily a way in which we can accumulate uh, more treasure in our hearts, but I think it's a it's a telltale sign that we are. And it goes something like this: uh, lack of contentment in God's current provision for you. And I, I think the two could go hand in hand. Where when we can see the degree to which the lack of contentment grows is really proportionate to the degree to which we're working to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where we're after the things of the world and we believe that life and meaning and purpose will be found in the materialism in, in materialism in some way and so in what ways do you store up treasure for yourself on earth that's the second reflection question and then on our third point here the third sin the, the sin of the conspiracy which we see pointed out here in verse 14 you know throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse um, this was a little bit more challenging for me to kind of unpack a little bit to kind of bring toward a, a very simple application for us. But so here's how, how's how I want to try to make it work. You know, Jesus has us work to judge ourselves rightly before we can rightly conspire. Uh, excuse me. Jesus has us judge ourselves rightly before we conspire with ourselves about others. Now, what I mean by that is look at verses Matthew 7. Uh, three through five. I'll quickly read it for us. Why do you see the speck in your in your um, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, "Let me take the speck out of your eye," when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take out the log of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, how does that translate here to this second thing about conspiracy? Okay, well, just, just think of, again, going back to the other two sins that we thought about, firstly, even primarily, though, the angry one, where we're tempted to become angry with other people. Now, there's going to be times when you don't actually conspire, right? Where the, the impulse to become angry with somebody will feel very indiscriminate. It will feel very sudden. Um, and even so, most of the time, whenever we're giving into that sin, where we've committed those sins, we actually uh, have a rationale to ourselves. Right? One of the things that we, we say to ourselves is, this person has made us mad. This person deserved it. Uh, we're getting back at this person. I'm just protecting myself some kind of myriad way of describing that, okay? Um, but when there's a real and true understanding of our own wretched state, when we can see ourselves rightly, and we can see ourselves that we actually deserve the judgment of God, that we are beneficiaries of God's kindness and mercy to us in Christ, then we can rightly grant that same mercy to others, um, and then hopefully altogether just flee the temptation to conspire and to flee the temptation to throw in our lot with others uh, and to share in some supposed common purse. Okay, uh, Matthew 3, I think the simple lesson we get from Matthew 7, 3 and 5 is this, that when we rightly see our need before God, we can rightly see our neighbor's need before God and by extension, be a conduit of God's mercy, even if and especially when our neighbor has offended us. Okay? 
Now moving on here, we're, we're rounding home base here, we're, we're, we're rounding third base, we're almost home here, the futility of sin. And this is where the, the second part of this verse, picking up in verse 17, uh, Solomon helps us see, he, he kind of puts the second book in here, how useless is it to spread a net in full view of the bird, or where the birds can see? These men lie in wait for their own blood, they ambush only themselves, such as all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Okay. There's two things that I want to point out here in verse 17 for us. The first is this, that you will eventually get caught for your sin. You will not get away with it, either in this life or in the next. And the second thing is this, is God will see all your sin. Okay, so in the, in the same way, it's just foolish and foolish to go and try to spread a net, try to catch birds where the birds can see what you're doing. In the same way, God sees everything and He will judge accordingly. And, you know, eventually you will get caught, again, either this side or the next, and either you will deal with your sin or Christ will deal with your sin. Okay? It's possible that somebody will commit a heinous crime and um, get away with it on this side of heaven, right? They will never face the courts of men. Um, but because God sees all, He is sovereign over all, and He He sees everything, um, you will not escape it. God will eventually uh, uh, give judgment either on you or in Christ. So, um, be found in Christ. Because if you're not in Christ, then this is where we really get to punctuate this point um, when he says, such is the end if we go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Your life will be taken from you. I mean, if you are not in Christ, you will your life will be taken from you. You will experience the ultimate wrath and judgment of God um, if you do not repent of your sin. And so this is why in the this is why in the end we, we only end up ambushing ourselves. Okay? And that's why and judgment is the ultimate lasting pathway of your life. And so be found in Christ, turn to Christ, repent, flee from sin, turn from sin. And turn to Christ. Obey the righteous and wise counsel of your parents. So let me know what you think of that. That was a little bit of a tougher piece to kind of help bring up about the conspiracy. Let me know what you think in the comment box below. Um, but lastly, is now we're, we're, we're heading home here. What's the advice that you and I need? What's the counsel and the encouragement that we need um, whenever we're dealing with the pressure? Okay, And the counsel that I want to offer you today that I think comes from this text is, is to remember. And there's three things that I want us to remember today. The first thing that I want you to remember is to remember your righteous and wise parents' counsel toward you and the, and the things that they've taught you. Now, maybe you don't have an earthly parent that's taught you something, but just think, even think of the scriptures as your ultimate counselor, as your true and lasting counselor. Just remember what the Word of God has said. Remember what you've been taught. Remember the righteous ways, the wise ways of God, which maybe it's you through your parents, or maybe it's just through your own reflection of the Word. So remember your righteous and wise parents. The second thing is, is remember sin is both internal and external. Okay? Sin is both internal and external. And as that becomes increasingly aware to you, where you see your own sin in your heart, develop patterns, develop habits, and develop a posture of just saying no to the sin. I mean, that's exactly what, what Solomon has this here. Just don't do it. Don't go along with him. Flee. 
Okay, So as you understand, you grow, that sin is not just external, murdering people externally, but you can murder, you can covet, and you can conspire in your heart towards others. The degree you can see that, work toward developing a posture and a habit of just fleeing that sin altogether. Okay. Thirdly, remember God always sees your sin, and you'll never get away with it if you keep on going then you will destroy yourself. And this is what we pick up here in that last section, you know, about uh, how useless it is to spread a net in full view of all the birds. Um, Such is the end who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Um, You will not get away with your sin. God sees your sin, and ultimate judgment will be met out on you. Or, uh, if you're in Christ, it will be met out in Christ. So, Flee the sin, repent from the sin, turn from sin, because God always sees it. So do not sin. Um, Turn to Christ. Be found in Christ. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. I look forward to continuing. Episode 3 will be picking up in verse 21. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey there, did you like this video? If you did, please comment, rate, and share this video with someone you think who might benefit from it. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you're not already and hit the alarm bell so you'll be notified next time I upload new content. Thank you so much for listening today. I look forward to connecting with you next time. Until then, talk to you soon. Bye.